Russell Wilson is now a $245 million man in Denver. Would the Seahawks have been willing to pay that price if he was still under center in the Pacific Northwest? I'll be diving into that new contract extension and much more on our latest installment of Locked on Seahawks. You are Locked on Seahawks, your daily Seattle Seahawks podcast, part of the Locked on Podcast Network, your team every day. Greetings, 12. This is Corbin Smith, your host for Locked on Seahawks. Thanks for joining me for our Thursday episode, as always. Thanks for making Locked on Seahawks your first listen five days a week. We greatly appreciate it. The regular season opener against the Denver Broncos just 11 days away. It's coming fast, and it's fitting we're going to be talking about a certain player that's going to be making his homecoming to Lumen Field on Monday Night Football. Some big news coming out of the Mile High City today that obviously has some relevancy to the Seahawks for that game coming up and in the future as well. So I'm going to be breaking down a new contract extension for Russell Wilson and a reason why fans maybe should be a bit more optimistic about where the Seahawks stand heading into the next couple of years in the post-Russell Wilson era. Now for your lead story here on Locked on Seahawks, the Seahawks officially have a practice squad. Well, sort of. They can have up to 17 players on their practice squad because Aaron Doncor still has an exemption second year in the league, a former player pathway program, the international player pathway program coming over from Germany. So he is still exempt, which means the Seahawks can have one additional player on their practice squad. And they practice today with most of these players on the field. They still have two open spots to fill. But quarterback Sean Mannion, as we talked about yesterday, he is replacing Jacob Eason on this practice squad. Jacob Eason ends up going to the Carolina Panthers practice squad. Seattle clearly decided they had seen enough. Or maybe it was a case where Eason felt he had a better opportunity in Carolina with Baker Mayfield being there and Sam Darnold being injured, suppose there maybe is an opportunity for him to get onto the active roster at some point as a backup. But certainly they've got quarterbacks in place already. Darwin Thompson, Cade Johnson, Bo Melton all returning, as well as J.J. Arcega-Whiteside, who the Seahawks acquired in a trade during training camp in exchange for Ugo Amadi. Amadi then got flipped to the Titans in a second trade, but Arcega-Whiteside gets to stay on the practice squad and Maybe we'll get an opportunity down the line when he's had more chances to learn this offense. He's only been with the team for a few weeks. Tight end Tyler Mabry and three offensive linemen, Liam Ryan and Greg Island, were in camp with the Seahawks. Jalen McKenzie, the son of Reggie McKenzie, formerly worked with John Schneider in the front office with the Green Bay Packers, close friends. He has been signed to the roster as well. Aaron Doncor returning is that exempted 17th player in the practice squad. Linebackers Tanner Muse and Vi Jones. And a couple of newcomers in the secondary, Quandre Mosley. The Seahawks now have two Quandres in the secondary, along with Quandre Diggs. Mosley spent some time with the Dallas Cowboys. And then Xavier Crawford, a familiar name for Sean Desai, who coached him the last couple of years in Chicago. Crawford coming over after being waived was with the Jacksonville Jaguars this month. And Scott Nelson, another player that was with the Seahawks, the only undrafted safety that the Seahawks are bringing back, at least to this point, on their practice squad. When you look at this list, there's really no real surprises for the Seahawks. They were hoping to bring back Bo Melton. Our Sega Whiteside 
it's understandable being a former second round pick why they would maybe want a little more extended look at him than say bringing back Freddie Swain, who they decided not to bring back in the practice squad. And of course they had a few other receivers such as Aaron Fuller, who are not under this listing either, but Melton and Arcega Whiteside certainly were players they wanted to have more extended look at in particular Melton, the player they still believe could be an impact player for them at receiver or even on special teams needs a little more polish needs less drops but certainly a player that could be a bright part of their future. And even Kate Johnson, if not for a muffed punt that led to a touchdown for the Bears in that second preseason game, he might have been a player that was in contention for that last receiver spot against Penny Hart, had a really strong end to training camp otherwise away from that play. So the Seahawks brought him back. Offensive line, they like Liam Ryan. They didn't get much of a look because he was out on the pup list for most of training camp, but played well in his limited action in the preseason started a lot of games with Abraham Lucas. So maybe a guy that can develop into a swing type player that could be on your 53 man roster. That seems like that would probably be his ceiling. And as far as the defensive players go, they've only got three linebackers off ball linebackers on their roster right now. Absolutely needed to bring back a few of their players or add outside linebackers coming from other teams to this practice squad by Jones and Tanner Muse both offering special teams versatility. Jones has actually been playing outside linebacker mostly in recent weeks, so he's maybe somebody they're thinking can become a pass rusher for them down the line, could still be used as an off-ball linebacker. Muse is more of a traditional off-ball linebacker after converting from safety. They got a couple secondary players in Crawford and Mosley coming from other teams that they have seen film on. John Schneider yesterday compared Crawford to Justin Coleman, who they actually re-signed. So that's pretty high praise being compared to Coleman, who's been a very good slot corner the few years he's been in Seattle. Maybe the best slot corner they've had in the Schneider and Pete Carroll era. So again, pretty high praise. Sean Desai loved what he saw the few years he coached him in Chicago. So he might be a player that down the line factors in on defense for the Seahawks on their 53-man roster. A few other roster moves of note away from just the practice squad. We've mentioned this several times this week. This is going to be a 53-man roster shuffle. John Schneider mentioned yesterday through Saturday, there's going to be the opportunity to make a lot of changes before they are actually into game week preparing for the Denver Broncos. Joshua Oniogu was released, so the undrafted rookie coming from Framingham State Looked like he was going to be on the roster, was on the 53 for 24 hours, and then gets released. My sources have said he is going to be signed to the practice squad. So one of those two openings that they have right now, I would expect Oniogu is going to be in one of those spots. LJ Collier and John Reed both going on short-term injured reserve yesterday to open up two additional roster spots. They will need to miss at least four games before returning to the field. Collier's been dealing with an elbow injury, Reed re-aggravated a groin injury that cost him a good chunk of training camp. So again, those two have to miss at least four games before they can be activated to the 53-man roster. And the reason for those three moves, I mentioned yesterday, Isaiah Dunn coming over from the Jets, second-year corner from Oregon State, Daryl Johnson, a six-foot-six, 260-pound outside linebacker, defensive end, hybrid. Both those guys being added off of waiver claims. They are now on the 53-man roster. And as expected, Justin Coleman was re-signed. One of those rare mechanisms, and you'll see this across the league, but the Seahawks especially have loved to do this over the years. Veteran players who they believe that they can bring back on a non-guaranteed deal. And if they need a roster spot, they can do some maneuvering. So Coleman ended up being that guy this year. Most of the time, that's worked out for Seattle. They've been able to re-sign players. They did it with Nick Ballore a couple of times earlier in his tenure. 
where they released him and then quickly brought him back once they had taken care of their other stuff they needed to do on their roster. So they did that with Justin Coleman. He has returned. Maybe he's your starting slot corner. Maybe it's Kobe Bryant in week one. Nobody knows at this point. Pete Carroll was a mum on that topic after Tuesday's practice. So who knows who's going to get the bulk of reps there, but they at least wanted to have Justin Coleman on the roster. They achieved that by re-signing him. Now there could be some additional moves coming down the line. If there's an off-ball linebacker that they like, may still be looking into some trades. John Schneider has typically made trades this time of year, but maybe this will be a rare training camp in preseason where he ends up not making any notable trades in part because of where the franchise is at. And that's a perfect segue going into the next quarter here. Russell Wilson, he's been with the Broncos since early March when the blockbuster trade was made. But as expected, he's got a new contract. He's going to be with the Broncos for a very long time. They struck that deal today. I'm going to be diving into all the fine details and where things stand now, four and a half months after that trade happened from both sides' perspective, both the Seahawks and the Broncos. I'll be breaking it all down coming up here in a moment. It's almost the start of the NFL season, and I love this time of year. If you're into sports betting or fantasy, you need a competitive edge to win. That's why I highly recommend the Elias Game Plan app. It's the ultimate sports betting and fantasy companion for the NFL, NBA, and MLB. Elias Game Plan is the only sports app from the most trusted name in sports stats. Their app lets you access team and player stats, head-to-head team comparisons, and Elias Insights from the Elias Sports Bureau's research team, This app really is your one-stop source for everything from players' news to league-validated player stats and team records, expert game analysis for betting, building your fantasy team, and most importantly, impressing your friends. It's perfect for the preseason. You get player previews to help you draft a winning fantasy team and team previews so you know what to expect as the regular season kicks off later this month. Here's what I love about this app. I can see key injuries that have the biggest impact on the outcome of a game. This time of year, getting into the regular season, those are especially important. I can follow my favorite teams and players, and I can quickly access all the news and updates for those players and teams. The app clearly labels betting options. It's super easy. Take my advice. Download the Elias Game Plan app today. New features are coming out all the time, so take your game to the next level with the NFL season right around the corner. Don't wait. Find Elias Game Plan in the App Store or Play Store today. You're listening to the Locked On Seahawks podcast, Thursday edition. I'm your host, Corbin Smith. Thanks, as always, for making Locked On Seahawks your first listen five days a week. We greatly appreciate it. It's been over four months since the Seahawks pulled off the blockbuster trade of the offseason, sending Russell Wilson to the Denver Broncos for a bunch of draft picks and three veteran players. And when that trade went down, everybody anticipated that Russell Wilson was going to have a new contract in a matter of time. When you give up as much as the Denver Broncos did to acquire the nine-time Pro Bowler, two first-round picks, two second-round picks, three established veterans, and a day three selection, when you give up that kind of a haul, you aren't just renting Russell Wilson for the last two years on his current contract. So all along, an extension has been in the cards. That happened today, just 11 days before Russell Wilson will be back at his old stopping grounds, Lumen Field, quarterbacking the Denver Broncos. He's got a new contract. Here's the terms for Russell Wilson's new five-year extension. It's worth up to $245 million. That includes $165 million in guarantees. And just breaking that down, that's the third most guaranteed money in the NFL. The only two players that have more, 
Deshaun Watson and Kyler Murray, both those quarterbacks getting new contracts this offseason. Watson, that's the reason he went to the Cleveland Browns, a fully guaranteed contract, which is unprecedented in the NFL. And Kyler Murray, obviously, all the disappointment early in the offseason about not getting a contract extension. The Cardinals finally obliged, and he gets the second most guaranteed money. And in terms of AAV, your average annual value, Russell Wilson almost gets to Aaron Rodgers' $50 million per year mark. We're talking $49 million on average annually under the terms of this deal, which is going to last through 2028. Again, remember, Russell Wilson had two years left in his contract when the Seahawks traded him in March, and that was part of the reason they were able to get as much in return as they did from the Denver Broncos. He was not going to be a free agent the next year. It gave him some cushion. But these extra five years, Russell Wilson is going to turn 40 during that final year that he is under contract. And this might be the thing that irks Seahawk fans the most, at least based on what I've seen on social media today. Affordable cap hits the next three years with this extension. This season, his cap hit now is only $17 million. In 2023, it's $22 million. For a star quarterback, that's pretty affordable. 2024, it jumps up to $35.4 million. That's a pretty significant cap hit. After that, from 2025 to 2028, the cap hit jumps north of $50 million for all four of those seasons. So you look down the road, if you're the Denver Broncos, that could be something that's a little bit hairy because we're talking about a quarterback that by the time his cap hit has escalated north of 50, yes, there's going to be a jump in the salary cap the next several years from the TV deal. So teams are going to be able to absorb those type of cap hits easier. But at the same time, Russell Wilson is going to be heading into his late 30s by the time that happens. And his game has been predicated a lot on his mobility and creating plays with his legs. What is he going to be able to do at that point? And, and that led me to an interesting question on social media. And I'll share my opinion on this here in a moment. But this was my question that I posted. If Russell Wilson was willing to sign, which may not have been the case anyway, based on everything we know from John Schneider and all the other reports that are out there, Russ may not have been willing to sign an extension regardless. But if he was willing to, would you have been cool with the Seahawks giving Russell Wilson an identical five-year extension to the one that the Broncos gave today? And I'll say this right now, looking at the poll before I started the show, less than 20% said yes, and more than 80% said no. So this was a very one-sided response to this question i was expecting that it was going to be leaning heavily towards no but maybe not that much here's just a few sample responses that we got from our listeners matt g said yes i would i love keeping our heroes as long as possible i think he has a lot of good football left in him it might have been an overpay but he was our best quarterback i've come to terms with him going but it would have been okay if he wanted to stay too and then Seattle Seacrow, this was kind of a split answer. So there weren't very many that were just pure. Yes, absolutely. I would pay Russell Wilson this if I was the Seahawks. Seattle Seacrow says to have him for the next three years, yes. But I'd be afraid of what it might look like five years in. And this goes back to the age aspect. Again, three years from now, Russell Wilson's going to turn 34 this year. He will be 36 going on 37 by that point. So, yes, age is going to become a factor. And Tom Brady has made this a little bit different in terms of how age is viewed with quarterbacks. But there's a reason there aren't very many 45-year-old quarterbacks playing the NFL. In fact, there's only one. A quarterback is still a position that late 30s, early 40s, it's going to be really difficult to continue playing a high level. Drew Brees lasted until he was 43. But his last year or so in the league, there was a steep drop-off in his play, too.
So that is certainly something to consider. As far as the no responses, I had a lot of them to pick from, but here are the ones that jumped out. Matt Cook said, no, Russell's ability to scramble will continue to decline. The O-line would not have been addressed if he had stayed. Very good point there. You can't pay an aging quarterback top dollar if you also don't put pieces in place to protect him. And then Alex said, yeah, no, thank you. The Band-Aid had been ripped off. While I do not agree with Pete Carroll's current direction at quarterback, Russell just could not have lasted here. And then Jeffrey Day, he's not Tom Brady. will always depend on his legs to escape and make big plays. Those are already diminishing. So again, a lot of points there. And I, you know, some of our listeners are going to be like, why are you sitting in the middle of the coin? Because I just, I just don't believe that everything is in an absolute. And you look from the Seahawks perspective, what Russell Wilson accomplished his 10 years with this football team, nine Pro Bowls, all the victories, all the touchdowns. He's in the top three all time for touchdowns in regular season and playoff games for any quarterback in the first 10 seasons. So he is an illustrious company. And Russell Wilson has been a special quarterback for the Seattle Seahawks. But you can also understand the reservation about paying $49 million per year for a QB whose skill set is a lot different than Tom Brady. Tom Brady has always been sly moving around the pocket, but he has never been a good or elite athlete. He's never been somebody that's relied on his legs. Russell Wilson, that has been a big part of his game. I said this when the trade happened. I do wonder about how well his skill set, how well his playing style is going to age compared to, say, somebody like Tom Brady. The Broncos are banking on that with his contract, but they've also protected them quite a bit because the last three or four years, there's very little guaranteed money on the table. So they have protected themselves to an extent for when Russell Wilson gets older, they could always do an extension off that too if he's still playing at a high level to lower cap hits. There's a lot of mechanisms at play. But I think from Seattle's perspective, if they truly had a good relationship still with Russell Wilson and they felt that he was still an elite quarterback, $49 million, yeah, that's a lot per year. But if you still believe he's that quarterback, then you absolutely pay it. But I don't know that the Seahawks feel like they need a quarterback like that. They're really going to put it to the test this year with Geno Smith or Drew Locke, whatever they end up doing at the quarterback position as the season progresses. That is really going to test to see if they can win games without having an elite quarterback. They're going to be going with what many consider to be a well below average starting quarterback in Geno Smith or Drew Locke. So they're really going to test that. But nonetheless, I can see why the Seahawks would have been hesitant to pay this contract given the type of offense they want to run. Wilson's age, his play style. There's all these different factors to consider. And most notably, he wanted out. It became very evident towards the end that he was pushing those buttons to get out of Seattle. And Denver was the place that he preferred. That's where he's at now. He was a little bit more willing to make some concessions on his contract than I think he would have been in Seattle given the state of the roster. So maybe it was one of those cases where you know what? The Band-Aid was ripped off. We need to rebuild. Russell Wilson's not going to be part of that. Let's send him to Denver. We'll see what happens. This is going to be something everybody's going to be monitoring starting when he comes to Seattle in week one. Everybody's going to be following how Wilson plays in Denver, what happens with the Broncos. And the big reason why is this is something we're going to be revisiting for the next several years. This is not a trade where you can immediately just name a winner as much as any trade because of the draft picks that were played. You look at the two sides. The Broncos got Wilson, Urizarike as well, their fourth round pick that they got in exchange from the Seahawks. And then you look from the Seahawks perspective. You hope you've got your left tackle of the future. It's going to be playing right away in Charles Cross. 
Boy Mafe, you drafted 40th overall, the second rounder you got from Denver. You believe the upside's there for him to be a pass-rushing monster off the edge. He is a raw player, but in time can develop. And then they traded down with pick number 145, ended up getting Tyreek Smith and Derek Young. Derek Young just made their 53-man roster at pick number 233. Tyreek Smith would have been on this roster if he was healthy. He's going to miss the whole season on injured reserve, but a player that they certainly are high on. All four of those players can be building blocks for the Seahawks' next contender. And then you've got those first and second round selections coming up in 2023. And everybody's anticipating that a quarterback is going to be picked. That is really where this trade is going to end up being evaluated at the end of the line. Can the Seahawks get their next franchise quarterback with that first or even second round pick? You would hedge bets it's going to be that first round selection. They're going to have their native first round pick as well. So they've got two first and two second rounders next year. Fant is probably going to be part of their future. Harris is a little older player, but he could be here for a few years. And Drew Locke, who knows what's going to happen on that front with him not winning the quarterback job. But he really was kind of a throw-in in this deal. He was not a centerpiece part of it. Those first and second round picks were. So that's really what is going to be evaluated moving forward here. On Denver's side, they're hoping that Russell Wilson, a $245 million man that's going to be making $49 million per year, takes them back to the promised land and they can get at least one Lombardi trophy. That's the ultimate goal. That was an all-in move. We got our quarterback. We think we built the roster around him. So it's pretty simple on their end. Can Russell Wilson lead us to titles? On Seattle's side, you've got all these draft picks that you need to hit on, a large chunk of them, and you need to figure out who your quarterback of the future is. Next year's draft class looks like it's going to have a lot of quarterback talent. So that is when Seattle's expected to get that QB with two first-rounders, two second-rounders. They're going to have the ammunition to be able to get that quarterback. If they need to move up, they might have a higher pick anyway because of the state of the team. But that's really where this is going to hedge who wins this trade. If the Seahawks are able to get a number of these picks they made this year to turn into quality starters, long-term foundational pieces, and they get their quarterback next year and they're quickly back in contention, Denver, even if Denver's competing for championships, Seattle might be sitting there thinking, hey, this has worked out for both sides. This could be something that benefits both sides. If Seattle can't find that quarterback, though, and Russell Wilson has a ton of success in Denver, it's going to be a trade that could potentially mean the end of the coaching staff and the front office that Seattle has. There's seismic-type consequences here if the Seahawks cannot get that next quarterback here or the next year and figure out how they're going to get back into contention. So this is going to be a trade that's going to be evaluated after the week one game. It's going to be evaluated after the season. It'll be evaluated before the draft. And of course, after the draft next year, and then two or three years from now, everybody's going to be looking back at this trade because truly seismic effects for both franchises. Denver's hoping Super Bowl. Seattle's hoping they can quickly hit the reset button and be right back in contention with a young quarterback steering a roster that is well-equipped to be able to win playoff games around that player. Speaking of that youth movement, again, another perfect segue here on our Thursday episode. If there's a reason for optimism, I've talked about the rookie class, but John Schneider has been under a lot of fire for poor drafts over the years. Maybe that narrative is changing a little bit. If you look back at the last three drafts, I'm going to be looking at Youth well served for the Seahawks heading into the 2022 season and beyond coming up next. Are you one of those people who thinks it's okay to drive stoned? What's the worst that can happen? You end up driving below the speed limit. It's no big deal, right? Wrong. 
The truth is your reaction times slow way down when you're high. You not only put yourself in danger, but everyone around you. Stop kidding yourself. It's not okay to drive high. If you've been using marijuana in any form, do not get behind the wheel. If you feel different, you drive different. Drive high, get a DUI. You're listening to the Thursday edition of Locked on Seahawks. I'm your host, Corbin Smith. Again, thanks as always to all the 12s out there for making Locked on Seahawks your first listen five days a week. Now for your second listen, go check out the Alderman Pro Football Preview 2022, an eight-episode extravaganza to get you ready for the NFL season. The local team of experts of the Locked On Podcast Network, plus a betting angle from Lee Sterling of Locked On Bets, all combining into one Ultimate NFL preview. Search for Ultimate Pro Football Preview 2022 on your Odyssey app, YouTube, or wherever you get your podcasts. I mentioned it last week. You look at the Seahawks 53-man roster, and one of the real takeaways, looking at the players that made the team, seven of Seattle's nine draft picks made the initial roster. Bo Melton is now on the practice squad. There's a good chance at some point this year that he will be on Seattle's roster. And Tyreek Smith, the only other player that was left off, he's out for the season on injured reserve, but looked really good in a couple practices that he had in training camp. He is still a player the Seahawks believe is going to have a bright future for them. This draft class is a chance to be a foundational one. Maybe not as good as the 2012 group where you had Russell Wilson and Bobby Wagner, two future Hall of Famers. Seattle might not have a future Hall of Famer in this draft class, but they could have some very good starters. They could have some pro bowlers, maybe even a few guys with all pro upside. And so that's reason to be optimistic. But I want to take it a step further here because obviously it's understandable why the national narrative is the Seahawks are going to struggle this year. They're going to be last place in the NFC West. There's all the questions at quarterback and linebacker where Wilson and Wagner no longer reside. You're trying to fill those huge voids. You've got a very young football team with a number of those rookies set to start. So you add in all of those factors. Expectations are very low for a reason. But if you're looking for optimism for not necessarily this year, but down the line, I think you get a look beyond what the Seahawks did in this year's draft. And I think going all the way back to 2020, you can start to see the pieces being put together for a team that could be back in contention quicker than many are expecting. And I put together a chart here for our YouTube listeners, those of you that are listening on audio form. I'll be diving into all this verbally. But you look at the last three draft classes for the Seattle Seahawks. The 2020 group now, there are only six left with Freddie Swain being released. Stephen Sullivan also was released last year. So Seattle has two of their eight players of that class gone. But three of them are going to be starters, Jordan Brooks, Daryl Taylor, Damian Lewis. And two of those guys, Brooks and Taylor, at least in my belief, have the upside to maybe be all pro players. Colby Parkinson, the team is still high on there, hoping at some point what he does in practice is going to transition into games. He has a chance to still be a big part of this offense as a receiving tight end. DJ Dallas was maybe the most improved player in training camp. Great special teams guy, has improved running the ball. Alton Robinson, as long as he's healthy, is a guy that can be a good rotational reserve. So that's a really solid class. Even the 2021 group, Eskridge has had his injuries, obviously. But there's no denying the athletic talent. If he can just stay on the field, he can be an impact player on offense, special teams. Stone Forsythe as a swing tackle is a player they still like. And Trey Brown, probably the most upside in this group before he got injured last year. And he's on the pup list open the season, but they're still very optimistic about his future. And of course, this 2022 group, as I've got outlined here on my chart, four players in yellow that I think 
are going to start, at least at some point this year. Kobe Bryant's the one question mark I have. I think Charles Cross and Abraham Lucas will start in week one. I am 90% sure Tariq Woolen is going to start at right corner in week one. Kobe Bryant, I'm 50-50 on, but I think he is going to be the starting slot at some point. So you're talking four of your seven rookies that are on the roster right now, your seven draft picks on the roster right now, Four of them have a chance to start in week one. Boy Mafe and Ken Walker III are both going to get their snaps as long as they're healthy. Might not be starters right away, but they are going to get their snaps. They are going to be contributors. And Dariq Young, I think, at least on special teams, is going to play some. He might play on offense more than expected early on. So, again, the early returns in this group are really good. You put those three draft classes together, 18 of the 20 draft picks remain with the team or are on the practice squad. So Bo Melton being the one exception there. But Swain and Sullivan from two years ago, those are the only draft picks they had. Having a three-player class last year certainly helps. You don't have very many guys to choose from to cut. But that's 90% of the players they've drafted in the last three years. They are on the roster still, even if they're injured. These are guys that are still considered to be part of their future. There's nobody that they just kicked in the curb and said, all right, we're moving on here, aside from Stefan Sullivan and now Freddie Swain. Everybody else, the Seahawks have kept on their roster and they believe that they're going to be a big part of the equation. And you look at the undrafted players in this time. Miles Adams started with the Panthers, but now he's on the roster. He came in the league in 2020. Brian Monet came in with the Seahawks that year. In 2021, John Radigan and Jake Curhan both made this roster. Radigan is dealing with a knee injury still on the pup list. They're hoping to get him back at some point. And Curhan is probably going to be their main swing offensive lineman. He can play guard, can play right tackle. They just added Isaiah Dunn, who had a really solid first year with the Jets. They like him as a special teamer. And Joey Blunt this year being the undrafted rookie that's sticking on the team that has a chance to play some big snaps on special teams, and they seem to be very high on. You look at the undrafted class, and you look at those three draft picks, or three draft classes that they've got. 20 players from those draft cycles are currently on the 53-man roster. So if you're looking for a reason to be optimistic about the future of the Seahawks team, you got to look no further than the youth movement and the fact that a lot of these guys are going to be playing extensive snaps, even if they're not starters. Like I mentioned, the rookie class. Ken Walker III is not going to start over Rashad Penny. When he gets back from this hernia procedure that he had, he's going to be a factor, though. He is going to get a lot of snaps in the backfield. If Rashad Penny's durability history comes back to haunt him again, Ken Walker III is going to get a lot of snaps. And he showed before his injury in camp that he is not just an early down bell cow. He can catch the football by one reservation, obviously the pass protection stuff, former running back and running back coach. That was a major Achilles heel for me if a guy could not do that. It's hard to put you on the field if you can't block. He has to prove he can do that. But I think the physical tools are there for him to do it. And Boye Mafe, as a situational rusher, can impact games right now. He showed that in the preseason. Hopefully he's healthy with that shoulder strain that cost him the preseason finale. It sounds like he's doing much better. Should be ready for week one. But he's a guy that I think can be a starter down the line. And right now, he's got a chance to get you some quick sacks and pressures as a situational rusher. And they've got the four other guys that are probably going to be starting or playing extensive snaps. Last year's group, D. Eskridge still could play a lot of snaps on offense and special teams. Forsyth, he gives you depth. Obviously not going to be a starter right now, but a guy that they are still high on that if he has to could play some snaps for you. And that 2020 group, as I mentioned, 
You got two players with all pro ceilings in Daryl Taylor and Jordan Brooks. Damian Lewis, I still think, can be a Pro Bowl guard. Second season was disappointing. He's recovering from an ankle injury, but still a guy that has a lot of upside and fits this offense well. So he could bounce back this year and very easily play himself back today. So your top three picks could all be Pro Bowl plus caliber players, and the other three players behind them are good reserves that have special teams value, especially DJ Dallas. So this group, you, crop, you add in the undrafted rookies that they've signed, like Jay Curhan, Miles Adams, who I think is going to play quite a bit in pass rushing situations with his athleticism. He has earned that opportunity. Adding in all these players from the last three draft cycles, there's your foundation right there. And then you're going to have all these draft picks next season where it feels like that really could be your 2012 type situation. Maybe this is a, a compared to 2011 draft class where you're getting all those foundational pieces in place some of them already been there the last couple of drafts and then next year you go get your quarterback and you add a few other pieces that you need maybe another inside linebacker will be in the cards next year they start to plug in some of those spots and especially if they exceed expectations this year with a roster that many people don't think is going to win many games find a way to win six seven eight maybe more than that games this season Pete Carroll and John Schneider are feeling pretty good about where things are going. The fans are feeling pretty good about where things are going. They just got to get the quarterback. And so that foundation, I think the national media is saying that the foundation is a long way away. But I think if you come through those last three drafts, you realize that that drought John Schneider was in from 2013 to 2019 with all those missed picks, you've got to feel pretty good about the last three drafts, even the one in 2021 with only three draft picks those players all have a chance to still make an impact in some way, shape, or form for this football team, especially your top two picks in Eskridge and Trey Brown. So you look at those three draft classes, the undrafted players they brought in, you've got a really nice core here to work around with some of the other stars that are still on the team, your DK Metcalfs, your Tyler Lockett, Jamal Adams, Quandre Diggs. You've got a lot of established veterans to mix with that, and maybe that's the reason why they'll exceed expectations this year. But the bottom line is, the future does look bright. It's not going to be fully realized, though, if you can't get the quarterback position figured out. Anybody that hasn't been sleeping under a rock knows that. So Seattle has to figure that part out. Who is going to be your long-term quarterback? But I think personally that they are further along than a lot of the national voices are saying in terms of trying to launch this rebuild. They already had started doing it the last couple of years, getting some young players that have had their growing pains. But a lot of them still have a chance to pop. This rookie class has a chance to be very impactful, 2011, 2012 type impactful in terms of starters and guys that are coming in and producing immediately. And so that is a real reason why fans and players and coaches, everybody that's involved with the organization, there should be a bright outlook, even if right now you still have that huge cloud hanging over your franchise. But Who's going to replace Russell Wilson? Of course, that is going to keep looming over until they find that quarterback next year. They draft one or if somehow they go out and get another veteran QB, whatever they choose to do, that is going to continue to hover over the franchise. But the light at the end of the tunnel, it might be a little clearer and a little closer than people think just when you consider all of the youth the Seahawks have amassed the last three years and how many of those guys are still on the roster and the large percentage of them that have a chance to be starters or at least play meaningful snaps as a reserve and excel on special teams. For that reason, Seahawks look like they might be a little further along in this process maybe than the people outside of Seattle think. And even some people in Seattle that have been down on the franchise and the way things are ran, you might have reason to be a little bit more optimistic 
when you look at those last three drafts. Of course, everything's still got to come together with the quarterback. So we'll see what happens this year. And that's one of the great things about the season. I think some fans are excited about it. There is such a great unknown with this team, with the quarterback situation. Are they going to be able to win games? Are they going to be able to compete? We're going to get to find out here in 11 days. And I think that the young players are going to have a major bearing on not only how competitive this team is, but how many wins they have this year and beyond. As always, you can follow me on Twitter at Corbin Smith NFL. Make sure to check out Locked on Seahawks and Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, and streaming five days a week on YouTube. Coming up on our Friday episode with Nick Lee out, I'm going to be taking the reins with some fantasy football talk, and I'll be answering your questions. We're doubling up on Mailbag with there not being a game this weekend, so I'll be tackling your questions and dishing out some fantasy advice for the upcoming season. You won't want to miss it. Thanks for listening. Enjoy the rest of your Thursday. Go Hawks.